I am now delighted to be joined by the voice of Dutch darts, Mr. Jacques Newlat. How are you, Jacques? Yeah, I'm fine, Andrew. Thanks very much. All good. Nice weather, so not too bad. And I mean, it's nine months since I last spoke to you. Have you managed to stay free of the virus during that time? Yeah, yeah, no problems here. I stayed at home in my attic. I hid from everyone else. And uh, I, basically, the only thing I did was go to the studios to do commentary. And that's it, basically. And what's the situation like now in, in the Netherlands with both the virus and the vaccination programme? going up again uh, so that's no good news but the uh, people going to the hospital is steady it's, it's slowly starting to climb a little bit but we are starting to vaccinate as well so let's hope we get enough vaccines here to get the vaccination done before the summertime. Now the main reason I wanted to speak to you was the report released yesterday into a number of Dutch players being approached to fix games when you were first made aware of the, the investigation, what was your reaction? Well, <laughs> uh, I first learned about this, I would say, last July or something, uh, last year. Mm. Uh, so I was called quite early into this uh, investigation. And it, to be honest, it didn't surprise me because uh, I already knew a couple of players who were approached because they send us the details from a PDPA point of view. As you know, I'm also a director from the PDPA. So the Dutch players usually contact me when they have problems or when they smell problems. So I think most of the players who uh, who were approached to fix matches, I already knew about. But I mean, when you knew, when those players came to you, were you surprised, disappointed? trying to tell them if you get approached uh, contact us because then we can help you so in a way I'm relieved that they contact us Uh, am I surprised that they are being contacted no I'm not I think this is will go on in every sport in the world so as soon as there's money involved with gambling you you have people trying to fix matches I don't think Dodge is unique in any way so presumably when the incidents came out last year about Vessel Nyman and Kyle McKinstry was that when you'd first heard rumblings of the the other investigation going on? Yeah, a little bit after that, yeah. We first, uh, again, I think uh, the Wessel and the Carl cases were in May and June, I think. So shortly after that, the, the, the Dutch uh, broadcaster who uh, did the investigation started soon after that, I think. Mm-hmm. But they're not just investigating darts, to be honest. They are, uh, because the gambling laws in the Netherlands will be opened up this summer. It's what we expect. We don't have any legal gambling at the moment in the Netherlands. Only uh, from the government there is one party that can host gambling, basically. It will open up in the summer. So what they are, what this broadcaster is doing, basically, is um, doing an investigation about what it means when gambling becomes uh, legal in the Netherlands. And they, therefore they are investigating multiple sports, darts being one of them. Mm. Because darts is quite open about it. Also, not only in, in uh, telling the players what they should do, but also in putting out the sentences when players get caught, like in the Westall and uh, Carl uh, case. I think we, are, we were the easiest 
to approach also from the desktop broadcaster to get the story. And how are most of these players being approached about, you know, I know I read that Neil Sonneveld was asked to, to throw a game and Mike Kuyvenhoven was asked to throw less 180s than his opponent. Is that being done through social media? Yeah, it, it is done via social media. What they do is they set up multiple accounts on multiple social platforms and basically what they do is they uh, send out a, sh- uh, a shotgun of, <laughs> of pallets and, and hope one of them will land. Uh, so they send it to multiple players in, in, on multiple days via multiple platforms and hope that one will bite. And would you say that the situation has been made worse by the, the last year we've had with the pandemic? Uh, well, the thing is, um, I, I, obviously I'm, I'm from the Netherlands, so we don't have the gambling culture as you probably do have in the UK. Uh, in the Netherlands, gambling wasn't really mainstream until a couple of years ago when it became a bit more mainstream. But we are still way behind the UK. So we don't know too much about gambling and we don't know how to react to it, basically. So it's, it's, it's a different environment here. And, and the players are not used to uh, being approached for these kinds of things. And again, we try and, and educate the players, obviously, from PDPA or PDC point of view. Would you say that the absence of a real gambling culture in the Netherlands is why the reports seem to suggest that this issue was more prevalent in the Netherlands than than in other European countries? Yeah, I think that, uh, they were correct in saying that. Uh, the DRA was obviously the, the regulating authority and they get most of the complaints uh, to them. They also say that the Netherlands the last year or so has become uh, more of a target than any other country. Again, uh, you can look at it two ways, I always say. We have, obviously, in the Netherlands, more players playing on the Pro Tour than most of the other countries outside of the UK. So it's logical that we have more players being approached. And the other thing is, uh, and I can't say this, emphasize this enough, because of the culture we have in the Netherlands, players come forward with it. Hmm. I'm sure that uh, a lot of more players are being approached, and maybe some of them think, well, I'm not coming forward with this. I'll just leave it where it is and that's it. Whereas in the Netherlands, we've created, uh, hopefully, a culture that says, come forward, we'll help you. And, and together we can stop this. And you were talking about education for the, for the players there. What does that education look like? Obviously, every tour card holder, uh, before they get their tour card actually and can play on the tour, they have to go through a gambling module online. Uh, for which they also have to do an exam. So in that module, they get taught 
what you can and cannot do uh, in in the gambling uh, industry, basically. And when you've gone through this, then you at least know what you should or shouldn't do and where you need to look out for. So that's one of the main priorities we have as a PDPA to educate the players on what is and uh, what you can and cannot do because that's sometimes difficult as well. Again, it might be clear from someone from the UK, but from someone uh, from the Czech Republic or from the Netherlands or from Belgium, it is difficult. We're not as used as you probably are to the gambling as a whole. Hmm. Uh, And on the other end, we also try, and that's something we're going to emphasise more on when uh, the Challenge Tour and Development Tour is going to start again, is to have a look and see where we can educate those players a little bit more because that's where we see where the problems are starting to grow, if that makes any sense. The view I have is that uh, these fixers are not targeting the top 32 players or the top 64 players possibly, but the players under underneath that. And why do they do that? Probably, possibly because they feel those players are a little bit more vulnerable. They have less income, so um, £5,000 is a lot more money to someone being ranked number 80 in the world than it is to someone being ranked 8 in the world. Hmm. So that's where we obviously also have to look after the, the, the players that are just coming on board or just starting their careers in the PDC or in the Development Tour and Challenge Tour. And basically, I always think, get them as, educate them as young as you can. So in the Development Tour, as soon as they come on the Development Tour, I start educating them. Do you feel that, you know, with the gambling opening up in Holland and stuff like that, do you think that this issue with match fixing might get worse before it gets better, if that makes sense? I don't know. Uh, Again, I think in the professional dart scene, we are doing a lot of work in trying to educate players. So probably dart players are better educated than, for instance, tennis players or football players or... I don't know which other sports, cyclists or whatever it is. Uh, but we do have to make sure that uh, we stop it as quick as we can. And that's why it's, it's, it's a three-way thing. It starts with educating, then it's the players who need to take control over their own life and say, look, I don't want to be involved with this. And if they do get involved, which unfortunately sometimes happens, then there needs to be punishment as well after that. Like, and that's where the DRA is obviously for. But again, it doesn't stop there. After the DRA, the DRA punishes the players, which is fair enough because they've made a mistake. But the people that fix the matches need to be uh, also taken to court. And that's something, obviously in the Netherlands, we're not that far yet. So that's something we are trying to get going in the Netherlands. And the the Dutch Darts Association, for instance, the MDP, they are working together with the Dutch Olympic Committee in trying to educate well, you could say the amateur players, but it is obviously the Dutch national team players and those who are in the top of the Dutch rankings trying to educate them and also saying, look, these are the dangers that are ahead. Make sure you don't get involved. The landscape is difficult because the landscape is scattered. It's, you've got PDC players playing in the Pro Tour, you've got PDC players playing in the Challenge Tour and in the Development Tour. And then obviously, as soon as we can start playing darts again, hopefully, You've got, we've got players in the Netherlands, and which is quite a big contingent uh, of players that are playing in the WDS system or under the Dutch national uh, flag. And you need, I think you need to educate all of them because the gambling becomes more widespread. So if you look at all these online tournaments, 
I, I think there's a market for them also after COVID. But it needs to be regulated. If you don't have regulation or no one watching it uh, from an authority point of view, then obviously these tournaments will be prone to mistakes, possibly. At least they're vulnerable to it. Hmm, yeah. And do you think it's a problem then that a lot of the major PDC competitions are sponsored by gambling firms? No, no, not really. I don't. To be honest, if anything, I think the, the, the gambling companies in the UK, as far as I can see from the Netherlands, they work quite well together because they link up. So as soon as strange betting patterns appear, they tell each other. They're connected to one another. I think that's only a good thing. So mm. I don't see any problem in that mm. at all. And how would you... Also, again, also these betting companies, but they have the obligation themselves to also uh, stop people gambling, obviously, too much and things like that. But that's a different discussion, I think. And when the report came out yesterday, I know you shared a link to a podcast, but what was the reaction kind of like in the, the darting community in the Netherlands? to be honest uh, but uh, again because we're quite open about it I think most people in the Netherlands uh, saw it as something more they were pretty open about it it's good that these players come forward tell that they are being approached and that they're trying to help uh, the dark authorities to catch these people trying to fix these matches so all in all I don't think I've seen a lot of people uh, react negative to it it was to be honest for adults I think it was a very positive uh, yesterday because uh, there will be new podcasts and new uh, betting things like I said before on other sports and I don't think those sports will be quite as positive as we are possibly hmm. we like openness in development so we don't see it as a bad thing that these things come in the open no it's uh, definitely a good thing and on to slightly more positive topics when I spoke to you before we talked about Raymond Van Barneveld's retirement from the sport of darts when he announced he was going to come back last year were you surprised at all? I said no way it's not going to happen he ain't going back and I stick to that now no <laughs> Seriously, no I didn't think he'd come back I'll be honest there he really really surprised me as well hmm. and when he started talking about his comeback and Obviously, I also know the people who are involved in it. Slowly but surely, I maybe started believing in it a little bit. And I've seen Raymond quite a bit the last, well, what, six months or so, because he also works in the studios uh, during our broadcast on the dark. So he's like a pundit in the studio. And uh, because we live quite close to each other, about 10 minutes away from each other, we usually drive together to the studio. So we get to talk in the car a little bit and uh, share a, a points of view. And he was really, really positive about it. And the closer we came to Q School, the more I thought, well, he might be able to do it, uh, honestly. And yeah, I think it was really nice that he got um, rewarded for the work he put in. Because don't get me wrong, but he did put five days a week, four hours a day on the board. In, and he's not a young man anymore. I mean, it is a, a remarkable comeback for him. And I know the stories recently have been about him collapsing at the Pro Tour, which was obviously quite worrying. But in terms of his performances, how did you expect him to, to win a title so quickly after he came back? 
expected of himself either, uh, if, if he's really honest. Can he win tournaments? Of course he can win tournaments. Well, it had been so long ago that he actually had won a tournament that not only did we not believe in it anymore, but I think he lost faith a little bit himself as well. But I really think it did him a lot of good that he played so many matches uh, at Q School because obviously he had to go into Phase 1. He played all three days in Phase 1, played all four days in Phase 2. He got a lot of match practice in, uh, and I think that did him a world of good. The one thing I've always said on the last three, four years of Van Barnevelt's career, um, he can pick and choose because he is what he is, a world champion. He's, he's, he's one of the greatest players of all time, so he can pick and choose whatever he wants. But is that good for his game? I've always said to him, no, I don't think so. You need to play more. But in the end, the last couple of years, he was just fed up with it fed up with darts I think this was a year he had a year off he had a year to clear his mind he had a year to clear his private problems uh, obviously he had a divorce uh, it's all stuff that is in the back of your mind and players who have a lot of baggage in the back of their minds don't normally play very well and that was the case with him as well and once you're in that downward spiral it's, it's difficult to get out of it so a year off was probably the best medicine for him ever. Mm, yeah, I can imagine. Especially, you know, the year he had off with the pandemic where he wouldn't have had the exhibitions and stuff to fill fill the gap for him. Probably would have gone into the exhibition tournaments uh, and the exhibition scene and we, he probably wouldn't have been at Q-School. So, in all fairness, the pandemic for him has probably uh, done him a favour in that he got back into the professional scene. Yeah. Can he do the next steps? Well, time will tell, obviously. He's got two years to prove himself. Yeah, but if you win a tournament uh, in the first series, then obviously you're straight away, you're, you're gunning already for the first television tournament as well. And, and that puts a different kind of pressure on. I think if he can keep playing with a empty head and, and, and with a positive attitude, He's always dangerous. He is always dangerous. Even when he was, he had stopped. I, sometimes I went over to his office where he does his practicing or where he does his, his play. If you see him throw darts, it, it's, uh, it's it's a sight to behold. I always think because you see something on a dartboard that I can't do, and I'm not even close to what he does. And he's not even in practicing. He just flings them basically, <laughs> and it's it's yeah, it's it's. But most professional players have that when you look at them. At least I, I'm an amateur myself. If you see them play on a dartboard, it, it's even better than when you see them play on television almost because they're so relaxed, they nearly hit everything they want. Something else you've been involved in is the inaugural WDF World Masters. What role have you had in the kind of putting the tournament together and also the, the number crunching side? The, the WDF and, and uh, the people involved in the WDF have asked me if I wanted to think with them uh, to see where the problems or possible problems within the WDF lie and where the solutions lie. And and I've sat around the table, a virtual table, I have to say, with people and talked about uh, what I thought was the way forward for the WDF. And, and I always... I like, and I think I've said that before, I like to build bridges. So uh, 
obviously is between the WDF and the PDC because they are, whether they like it or not, with the uh, with the DDL being gone at the moment, they are they need each other. Obviously, at the moment, the WDF needs the PDC harder than the PDC needs the WDF. But in the end, it's in the best interest of the PDC, I believe, that there's a strong amateur game as well across the world. And I still think that the WDF is best suited to provide that. And then if you look at the WDF, the problem with the WDF obviously is money. As we've said before, I think, because I already, in the last podcast, I think I told you what my idea was money-wise. And so the WDF needs to generate money. And at the moment, the only source of income they can get is from the countries that are uh, attached to the WDF. And uh, as soon as you've got that money, or at least the countries are willing to put in the money, then you can start thinking about organizing TV tournaments. And once you get TV tournaments, then you obviously need to get TV. That's part of TV tournaments. So that's the next step. And then sponsors have to come in to help you provide for the extra cash to make the tournament a little bit bigger than uh, it is at the moment. But it is a step-by-step plan. You can't do it all at once. And what we probably the WDF needs is a little bit of petrol in the tank or a little bit of wind in the sails. And that's, I think, at the moment, what they're waiting for. And, and basically what that means is the tournaments need to get started. As soon as the tournament needs to get started, the engine will start turning. And I think, to be honest, what we have done, and, and we, we are, on my side, I'm not in uh, uh, not in regular touch with the, the WDF executive, but I talk a lot with Lou Richard and with Nick Rolls. And what we've done, basically, is boring work in looking at rules and looking in how the structure of, of the tournaments has to be in the next few years. At least that's how we think it should be. And I think that's open now for discussion with the board to see what they think about it. But I think they're very close to bringing out things like the tournament structure, the, um, the new playing rules, or uh, most things like that. So that's what we've been doing, basically. Boring stuff. But we had time to do the boring stuff because the fun stuff was all quiet. The World Masters is tentatively scheduled for the end of this year. With the COVID situation the way it is and a lot of countries not being open for travel, that's going to make running events this year very challenging. Do you think there's going to be enough events this year? The only thing I can say is John Wattell, but I think we need to start playing ranked tournaments not long after August 1st. If we can do it round about that time, and there's quite a few tournaments scheduled in at that time and ready to get going around that time, if we can get started around that time, I think we can have a World Masters. If that doesn't happen, then um, you have to say probably we, we leave it as it is this year, 2021, and we'll start in 2022. You can't play a World Masters tournament, which is like a end-of-the-season tournament, you can't play it if you've only played two months of ranking tournament. That's not fair on anyone. And you need to give the countries and the players the opportunity as well to find finance to, to come to Europe. I mean, it's easy for us Europeans to say we can do a World Masters. Everyone can travel quite easily to the Netherlands. I'm sure in December that we, we will be, I won't say it's back to normal, but I think we, will be, we, we can play darts and we can have events. 
So I'm not worried that way that we can hold the tournament. But uh, the World Masters need to be the World Masters. So you also have to give players from New Zealand, Australia, America, Canada, uh, South America, Caribbean, uh, the, the chance to get to the Netherlands. If they can't get here, then there's not much of a World Masters left, I think. We saw earlier today, on a more positive note, they did announce that the World Paradox Masters would be part of that tournament weekend, which was a really positive announcement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think, to be honest, I think if you look at the last year, there's been a lot of positive news. The only negative is we can't play Nords. <laughs> but the system is, yeah, the system is nearly there. And I think the system, the new system, looks really good because uh, it, it caters to everyone. It caters to the... Uh, top-end WDF players, it, it, it rewards you if you're really good. If you win big tournaments, you're in. You're going to get a reward. You're going to get prize money. You're going to get into big tournaments. And that is a stepping stone to possibly the, 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 the next step, and which is the PDC. Uh, so the WDF, I think, wants to try and look after the uh, basis of darts, the groundwork. And once you're, where it, it used to be a problem if you're too good for the WDF, where do you go to? You go to the PDC, but it's always, it always came with trouble or with, with friction. I think nowadays you have to look in, the WDF is like the preparation to get to the PDC. You can do, you can get a lot of uh, practice here. You can get a lot of experience here trying to put up tournaments that are, yeah, pretty good, I think. Uh, if you look at the Dutch Open, if you've ever been to a Dutch Open, I think that is the standard where you want the top-ranked tournaments to be. Maybe not number-wise, but you do the way they treat the tournament. So it's almost professional on the last day where you play the big uh, quarter-finals or semi-finals and final. But the WDF always got a challenge because it's not only about the top end. The WDF also, because it's the ground basis of that, you also have to look at the more vulnerable um, groups in darts, youth, boys and girls, um, ladies' darts, which is difficult sometimes, and also paradise, which is also difficult sometimes. And it's difficult because the group itself cannot... Um, take care of itself. So they cannot organize a tournament on their own, a world championship, or they cannot organize a world masters on their own. They need a big group to become stronger. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. So yeah. You need, yeah, you need men, ladies, youth, and paradise together in order to have a good tournament. You can't do it, as far as I see, and I think most people agree with me, a ladies world championship, for instance, on its own, is at the moment not strong enough to supply for itself. It cannot attract TV on its own, it cannot attract the prize money it needs and it deserves on its own. But in the complete package of men, women, youth, paradox, I think there's uh, room for everyone. Mm. And then you can highlight each individual group on its own. I've always been a strong, strongly for having uh, a world championship, having a ladies day where on one day, you basically play the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals of the ladies' tournament all in one day, because I think it strengthens 
the ladies game if you highlight them. And now they are almost, there are say, buried in the men's program. Hmm. And it becomes sort of a, I mean, it's in the best possible way, but it almost becomes a, a sideshow where it needs to be a show on its own. But because as a group it can't hold its own world championship on its own, it needs to be obviously with the men's world championship and the other world championships. But within that world championship, I think it could have a day on its own. But again, that's me thinking, and maybe I'm, but the, the majority of people don't think that way, so maybe I'm wrong. That could be, of course, as wrong. No, I, I definitely support that, and I know exactly what you mean. On the World Masters as well, there is a real significance to it being in the Netherlands, because this is the World Darts Federation. Yeah, I think that's one of the things we've talked about uh, extensively. I think the World Championship probably has to be in the UK for the first or the first few editions. I think the World Masters is, is a tournament that could travel the world. And I think it needs to travel the world. But because you need a, a solid host country for the first year, the Netherlands, and then especially the, the, the NDB, the Netherlands uh, Darts uh, Association, uh, they are probably the strongest in the whole WDF field. So because they've got personnel, they have got a lot of experience with organizing and, and hosting the Dutch Open, so they know how to treat the big tournament. And if we are looking at the World Masters, it is going to change significantly from the previous World Masters. Because the way we think, the way we have done the math, uh, is probably going to be about 2,000 players there. And there's never been that, those numbers at any uh, World Masters tournament. So it, it's going to be a different approach to a weekend, or it's, it's going to be a long weekend. And uh, I think the Dutch Darts Association is probably the best fitted to handle that in cooperation, of course, with the WDF. But in maybe two, three years' time, you can look. There's other countries that are interested. Why not take the World Masters down under to Australia? The Australians always have to travel to us. Why? We can travel to them as well, or to America, or to... Well, I'm open to anything, to be honest, Andrew. I'm always rooting for Barbados. <laughs> I wonder why. Um, yeah. You, I'm just checking, you definitely said 2,000 players. Roughly, yeah. Right, okay then. Um, don't, don't take me up on the 2,000, it could be 1,700 or something like that, but it's going to be well over 1,500. Wow, okay. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. but the other, that's one of the things, you need more players to get a chance to compete in these tournaments, that was one thing. The other thing is, if you come from Australia... You don't want to come to play one match. So we're also going to make sure that everyone plays more than one match. Mm -hmm. And more than two and more than three as well. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Have I said too much now? Well, I don't know. I'll have to wait and see. <laughs> but I mean, that's certainly very exciting news. But on that note, I will let you go and enjoy the rest of your evening because I know you've been a busy man working on the snooker this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, another hobby of mine. I love uh, watching the snooker and... Uh, station in the Netherlands of, of doing a little bit of snooker and they asked me uh, if I wanted to commentate on them and oh yeah, I'd love that. So I've been doing that for a few years now. So I'm, you could say I'm the expert on British sports in the Netherlands. <laughs> Although but... I hope they're not going to do cricket very soon because I know nothing about that. <laughs> 
Well, thank you very much for your time, Jacques. I really do appreciate it.